This is Carol Steves, and you're listening to Reality Ranch Podcast. Today is May 9th, 2020. So May is a a very challenging time for us. It's the time when we weed and plant and and get our farm ready to to grow our vegetables and fruits for the for the year and um, to make to make matters even more complicated we're also doing some remodeling on our house and uh, namely right now siding the house so because of all the noise um, it's been hard for me to record my podcast so it's a little late this week Hopefully next week I will be able to uh, maybe record it in my car. <laughs> that seems like it would make a good sound boot because there's still going to be a lot of hammering and drilling and sawing um, outside my window. So um, before I, I move on with the rest of my, my show, I, um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Emmanuel. I mentioned... Um, in my first podcast that um, the man they called Jesus was based on the, the real person, Emmanuel. Jesus is a fictional person who does not have the same birth date or the same birth year as the actual prophet Emmanuel. And there's a book um, that has been published by Figu called The Talmud Emmanuel. You can get this book through uh, Figu Canada, the Figu Landis Group Canada, um, through their website, ca.figu.org. Or you can write to them, Figu Landis Group of Canada, at 1518 Queen Street West, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, M6R1A4. You can also get it through Figu Switzerland. You can go to figu.org. Theyfly.com also sells this book. But I wanted to mention uh, Figu Canada first because they're the ones that actually uh, translated and published the book. We're very lucky to have it in English. So... I'm going to read a little bit from this book. It's on uh, page 562. It's the epilogue and explanation about the Talmud Emmanuel. Over a long period of time, the translator of the Emmanuel scroll wrapped himself in silence. And I, the editor of the translation, did not know why he did so. The mystery was solved on September 19, 1974, when I received a letter written by the translator on September 14, 1974, in Baghdad, Iraq. Because of the unexpected loss of the original scroll, the only evidence was lost, unfortunately, and so the Talmud Emmanuel is there by also no longer complete. Thus, only 36 chapters have been brought together, which are included were included in the original scroll. 
because I, Beam, am somewhat familiar with the remainder of the story of Emmanuel, I would not want to withhold from the reader the most important events described here in broad terms. With his mother Maria, his brother Thomas, and his disciple Judas Iscariot, as well as some of his disciples, Emmanuel traveled to northern India. On the way, he taught in various places and had to flee frequently because his speeches were revolutionary. Thus, his trip to India took him several years and several hardships were connected with it. In today's Pakistan, high up in the north and in the outermost spurs of the western Himalayas, his mother became very sick and died when Emmanuel was about 38 years old. After the loss of his mother, Emmanuel moved on and went over to today's Indian Kashmir, where he continued to spread his teaching. He covered the vast portion of India in the northern part of the land and also today's Afghanistan and Pakistan. There were God-believing tribes had settled, which had emigrated from the land of the God-believers. When Emmanuel was about 45 years old, he married a young and pretty woman who bore him numerous children. He settled down like any normal father of a family in today's Srinagar in Kashmir, India. From there, he undertook numerous trips and continued teaching his old yet also new teaching of the prophets. At the age of 111, he died of natural causes in Srinagar, there, he was also buried in a grave. Judith, Judas Iscariot died at the age of about 90 and was buried in a place not far from Srinagar. Emmanuel's first son, named Joseph, continued writing his father's story and left India after Emmanuel's death. After a three years' journey, he returned to the land of his father and lived until his death in Jerusalem, where he started a family and also had descendants. From India, he took the original scroll and some objects from his father and hid them in a tomb cave in, in which Emmanuel had once lain. He assumed that this place was the safest and would be and would one day be found when the time was ripe for it. As was already explained in the foreword, the scroll and the objects were also found there. 36 36 chapters of which were rendered here in translation. Moreover, in the year 2011, these 36 chapters were processed and edited in cooperation with the Playaran Ishwish Ptah and the Playaran Linguists and with the pure spirit level Arahat Athursata, resulting in a completely new and absolutely correct translation. Hinwell, September 20th, 1974, and... Samyasi Silver Star, Star Center, Hinterschmidt Ruti, 1225 CH, 8495 Schmidt Ruti, February 12, 2011, Billy, Edward Albert Meyer, Beam. So, uh, that's just a, a little bit of about the book, The Talmud, Emmanuel. If you want to uh, read the story about uh, that, the story they have, uh, the scrolls that are still, that they were able to translate before the, the rest of the book was destroyed, uh, 
and uh, has also has been rewritten, retranslated since the first translation. So if you have the original book, um, I highly recommend you get the new book. It's uh, I've read both of them, and I think the second one's much better. Um, and if you're someone who uh, has been searching around for information on who Jesus actually was, I highly recommend this book. My guest today is Bob Foster. While living in central New Mexico in the summer of 1973 as a teen, Bob witnessed something unusual in the sky one night that sparked his interest in UFOs. Late in the evening, Bob was watching the passing of Skylab with his father. A short time later, as they lingered to watch the stars, three bright lights, brighter than Skylab, in a delta formation, emerged from the west traveling east as if to pass overhead. Bob then described that at about the 10 o'clock position and in an instant, they separated their travel path in imposing directions at lightning speed. His father had no answer for what the lights meant except that he knew that no aircraft could perform the witness maneuver. And now my most delightful interview with Bob Foster. Okay, so tell me, um, Bob, how you found the spiritual teaching, the mission. Thank you, Carol. Um, gosh, where do I start? The, the, the mission itself really was, um, and, and I sent you some information in my a little brief bio, which probably rambled on and on endlessly. No, it, it, no, it's okay. Um, it, it's actually, actually, when I found it was, I was following the hardware. I was following the UFO phenomenon, like many, many are, were, and are. And what I found was... Um, and I was living in the Bay Area at the time, and I had left the Navy and gotten into law enforcement in Northern California. And what year and, was this? Uh, that I I left the Navy in 1984, and I went ashore and started with the University of California Police Department as security, and then worked my way east over to Contra Costa County and became a deputy sheriff there. So I began, um, I made it known that I was interested in UFOs, and I, of course, you know, people thought I was absolutely crazy, and that's great. I have no problem with that. I didn't have any problem with that. And by the time I got introduced to a UFO bookseller in Berkeley, um, I was very interested, in, and I had the funds at the time to be able to purchase the kinds of books that I wanted to read and research. And my, um, I happened across um, a number of books that um, I asked my, the bookseller about, and, and these were Wendell Stevens, the retired 
uh, Lieutenant Colonel Wendell Stevens' books. And uh, she said, well, here, look at this video. Sit down and watch this video and tell me what you think. And so I just bought it from her and took it home. And it was the one-hour presentation of um, the, I can't remember the title. It may have been UFOs are Real, uh, 1979. And I sat and watched that. And I was absolutely, um, <laughs> I was captivated. So I needed to know more. And, uh, and who, who produced so I, that I, video? I don't know that I'm I've sorry. seen that. Who produced that? I said, who produced that video? I don't oh, know that I've gosh. seen that. Do you remember? Um, gosh, I don't, I don't no, remember. Okay don't. I, Genesis 3 Publishing. If you, if you do a quick search and do Genesis 3 Publishing, 1979, UFOs are real or UFO video, Wendell Stevens, it'll pop up. I, I guarantee you. Okay. This was my introduction, and of course oh, she so started Wendell throwing. Oh, so Wendell Stevens was was associated with his video, is what you're telling me. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. It, oh, basically, okay. it okay. is the story of Wendell taking. Um, um, oh gosh, I can't remember the name of the gentleman and the lady that went with with him to Switzerland. Oh, Brittany to, Elders. Thank you. Yes, yes. Yeah. And, Are you talking about the uh, movie Contact? It, I think it is Contact. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. They're not <laughs> um, familiar there with was, that. There was, another, there was another video at the time, UFOs Are Real, that um, addressed the Billy Meyer, um, the Billy Meyer contact. And so I, they, were, they were happening at about the same time. And that's how I got inter- introduced to the Billy Meyer story. So I started buying um, as many books as I can get my hands on um, by Lieutenant Colonel Wendell Stevens. So I purchased the um, UFO from the Pleiades. Um, I think it was the, I can't remember the exact title of it. Um, it was the um, research, the, the primary research. What was the name of that title? There was the supplemental, the primary and the supplemental right. investigation books that he yeah, published. I've read those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... And then it was the uh, the UFO from UFO. It was message from the Pleiades, and there was a series of them. There was a series of four based on the contact notes. And I managed to get myself uh, a couple copies of those and started reading them. Now, now, mind you, I am um, I'm a cop and I'm in my own element there, and I'm a far different person than I than I was then that I am now. And so I, mm-hmm. I, I talk about this other me in this experience. Um, and it sounds, I mean, some of my decisions are very juvenile and, and I can't remember uh, some things, but um, I'll do the best I can. Okay. That's how I got introduced to Billy Meyer. Wow. And, so did you um, did you tell other people about it or I mean yeah I did and if you did what kind of reaction did you get <laughs> well uh, almost expected mixed and unexpected kind of a potpourri if you will I mm-hmm. once I began to to read the books I was working out at a um, at a place they call the farm in Contra Costa County, 
out off of Marsh Creek Road, a detention facility. And we were working 10-hour days, and I would bring the Billy Meyer books in and read. And I'd leave them in the lounge um, for other officers to come by and kind of eyeball. And on occasions, somebody would pick the book up or stop and talk to me or pull me aside. And after about a year or two of this, I began to have conversations with a couple of other officers who were interested in things other. Um, one of the officers um, was interested in following um, what we know as a manual now, but uh, Jesus Christ was in India, and he was the first person in mm-hmm. the early 90s that introduced me into that whole thing um, and, and gave me books to, to read. And there was actually quite a bit out there on that then, and I was very excited to 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 begin to open up my mind, understand that my mind was very much a, a petrified nut, if you will, a tree nut. And I had to basically from that time to this time basically re um, restore that to a nut rather than a rock and then have have a have it come to growth, have it a tree come out of it, basically. And that's my analogy of how I've gone through this process. It was a very slow at first and very cumbersome. I made a lot of mistakes, and I just wanted to stand on the rooftops and tell the world. <laughs> so I that, then I told my dad about for you to it. Put that. I'm sorry? I said, what an interesting analogy. What an interesting way to put that, that your your mind went from a rock to a nut to a tree. That's I've never heard anybody it, say anything. It was like, it, well, it was like a petrified rock. And what I what I ended up having to do yeah. in my analogy is I had to I had to somehow destroy the way that I thought. Um, mm-hmm. I was living in a I was living in a a mental jail, a box, and I had to somehow escape and become not just teachable to become somehow become of service because since then I've discovered that being of service to other human beings, uh, there's a joy in that I can't describe. Right. And so you're about to tell me about telling your father, I think. My dad, uh, my dad and I, um, we had a real rough patch um, my first 16 years and he he introduced me to a school. Um, I was just out of um, middle school in 1972. He introduced me to NMMI, New Mexico Military Institute in Roswell. And he said, do you want to go to this school? And I said, sure. Uh, Anything to get out of this house. (laughs) I didn't tell him that, of course. That was my inside (laughs) voice. And um, because I just, they were having problems. My mom and dad were having um, problems between them, and it was spilling out into the, the family. And so I said, yeah, send me to school. And so I went to New Mexico military out in Roswell. And just after that is when my dad and I began to strengthen our relationship. We, we, we broke ground to become friends. And so we laid a really good field of um, it took about, oh, it took a number of years to get to a point where we could share with each other. And by the early 90s, we were, he, had, he had then turned to Judaism. He had come out of his 
um, Jewish closet. He was a Lutheran growing up, and so <laughs> much That's to our surprise, he, yeah, he said, um, well, this is, you know, you've come out of the closet, and you gave me the courage to do the same, so this is what I'm doing. And so we shared a lot in life between us. And so I came, I came to my dad with this information. I left the Bay Area on a trip and, and said, Dad, I've got some stuff I want to share with you. And I brought with me all the books that I had purchased from the gal over in Berkeley and uh, sat down with my dad <laughs> over some R&R whiskey and, and poured through these books. And I said, what do you think of all this? This is just amazing. And he says, you know, son, go with it. Run with it. Yeah, see what you wow. think. And we talked a lot. And we wrote a lot between each other. He introduced me to Zechariah Sitchin, and that kind of petered out, and because that was kind of a curiosity at the time, also. And so it took a while to to kind of weed out what was interesting and curious, but just not quite Meyer, not quite Billy Meyer. And I kept coming yeah. back to it. it. It's something I kept coming back to over the years. Yeah, so um, it, because, why? Because it was logical. And, you know, it was really interesting, you know Carol. I don't, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I, I don't think it was intentional early on that what mm-hmm. I was looking for really, I love cars. I, <laughs> uh, I'm a car nut, have been. Um, me and my brothers would, We'd be in the car with the folks, and we'd be down going down the highway, and they would dare to challenge me to identify different cars as we're going. And uh, I, I would almost always win because I had identified at this great distances cars that they couldn't, just by, mm-hmm. just visually. So we had we had that relationship going on. So I I loved the hardware, and when I got my first glimpses of the photographs Billy took of the Play Aran vehicles, um, the spaceships, I was absolutely thrilled. And then I saw the moving pictures. The first one I saw was the, um, I believe it was Samyazi that flew over the, uh, the tree at the farmhouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A number of times. And Billy actually took an 8-millimeter video of that. I, don't, I can't tell you how many hundreds of times I've watched that. And it's hard to put into words because I, I, I would look at that and sense that there is something about that video that is just not right if, it is, if it's a little object on a string. It's not moving correctly to be an object on a string, right. or even, even mm-hmm. a manipulated object on a string. And so years later, when I showed it to an, an inmate population, uh, you talk, this is a really? low sec- minimum security where we could actually shoot. <laughs> they just, <laughs> they just, it blew their minds. Where did you get this, deputy? Oh my gosh, who is this guy? <laughs> so yeah, I was on the rooftops at that point. And <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, I know it's just a, such significant information, and you, and I don't know about you, but I always thought other people would see what I saw, and sometimes they do. But not always, as you know. But not always, yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, and, and, and it's such a joy when they do. And, and I, so often I have, to, I have to dial myself back. That's one thing I've had to learn. 
mm-hmm. about myself is that I've got to dial myself back. I get I get pretty excited about things, and, and I get pretty specific about things when I get excited about things. And right. sometimes I don't pay attention to things that matter, like, you know, food on the table, <laughs> stuff like right. that. Um, <laughs> you, you kind of go off on the uh, – incidentally, I, I really want to, I want to congratulate you on this, this um, format. This is really quite dynamic. Um, and I've, I've heard, oh, I, I've, I've listened to uh, you know, Daniel Cooper, who is an amazing talent, um, the guy, mm-hmm. the guy got me in tears when he was doing, when he was, um, playing his instrument, walking through the, the field over there in Switzerland and then the music, it was right. just amazing. But thank you. This is, this yeah. is an amazing format. Sure. I, I really hope that other people really, really get a lot from it. I, I hope so too. That's, that, that's my goal. And, uh, uh, I, I really appreciate your support and your positive feedback. And you know, any any critique anybody has that's useful, I'm I'm open to that too. So, and I, you know, I, I, I hope people participate to, in builds, builds, and you build it up, and and it becomes I, I especially when there's well, so really much information out there that's so it's negative. You know? I know, I know, and this and, is such a positive you know, thing. Yes, and that's and you know the the people within the the community, the figure community. There's so much knowledge, information, interesting stories, you know, journeys, everybody's journeys. And that I thought, you know, these haven't really been tapped into, and in the future, who knows? Maybe yeah, this will yeah. be a record of some kind that people will know who that these people are. Who the are we? Teaching who people. are these people yeah. that, especially in the states? Who are these people? Yeah. <laughs> who are these people? Yeah. Where are they? And what are they saying? Yes. And what are they doing? <laughs> and, and yeah, and uh, maybe break through some stereotypes, and uh, you know, maybe reinforce a few. Who knows? <laughs> you know, it all depends. But but I mean, uh, you know, and and it's not even just people in the states, although primarily. Well, this is for English-speaking people, of course. So, right, know, right. Who the, the people that I speak will will have at least have English as a second language, or a third, or who knows. But, but the other the other reason I was really interested in, you know, talking to you because you're just somebody I I've always vibed with, you know. And yeah, we you, just kind of clicked early on, huh? Yeah, we did, and. Uh, it's always such a, a wonderful thing. And one of the things I've noticed is, is you know a lot about earthquakes. I do. And, yeah. And, I think I do. <laughs> well, I would say you, you know, since it's one of your interests and because of where you live, you know, tell, would you mind telling us about where you live and <clears throat> why this is, why earthquakes are so significant to okay. you. <laughs> and before you start, what, one thing sure. else I wanted to ask you is, yes. um, did, your, did your interest in earthquakes start before you read about 
the information in the contact reports, the feet, the Billy oh, yes. Meyer contact. Oh, okay. yes. And, oh, yes. And then, of course, per, probably I would guess that when you stumbled upon the information in the contact reports, you probably were beside yourself. I, <laughs> yeah, um, and I'll add to that a, um, a, um, my, yeah, I'll, I'll have to add to that my aha moment okay. because it, because it's part of the system up there. Um, where do I start? <laughs> okay. <At the> beginning. <laughs> I'm sorry. I said at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I love that this is relaxed. I don't have to fit into a yeah. box. Um, no, no, you, you don't. I, you're, you're just wherever you like, when, whatever comes to mind, how you want to say this. Great. Okay. Um, uh, just uh, just a, um, a little background, just real quick. Mm-hmm. My, uh, my, folks met in, my folks met over a hot apple pie in San Diego. They were neighbors, my mom and dad. My mom had three kids, mm. and... My dad built a house, and they fell in love. They started a family, and then there were two of us that came along as a result. But my dad was a federal employee, and he moved a lot around the western part of the states. And we moved, uh, gosh, Oklahoma, where I saw my first tornado as a, as a toddler. I was talking to my sister about that here recently. And, and oddly enough, I remembered it. And um, then we went to Alaska, after we left Wyoming. And Wait, you lived in, in Wyoming? Yeah, we lived in Wyoming um, at actually Great Falls, Wyoming. My, my folks bought a house there, um, and I think that they wanted to stay. Um, and I remember the house. It was a beautiful house. It was brand new. Mm-hmm. And um, my folks wanted to stay there. And I think th- when a position came up, and my dad was a... Um, electronic technician and he his specialty was dialing in radars and so opportunities in Alaska opened up in the late 1950s and early 1960s because of the new radar and the new White Alice defense system going in with NORAD mm-hmm. up there and so my dad really wanted to be in on that he was very excited so he scooped us all up, and we moved up there in 1961. By 1964, we had ended up out, out um, uh, a couple hundred miles uh, west-southwest of Anchorage out in an area called Katmai, a little town called King Salmon. There was an Air Force base there. And my dad flew around a lot, um, dialing in and repairing um, radars. So... When the great earthquake hit in '64, um, just moments before I was, I was chewing on my mom's ear about why Dad wasn't home from work, and she said it's a holiday; he's not going to be home from work. That's why I've got a ham in the oven, and I need to get you outside because it's just it, it had not quite gotten to about 30 and, and and the sun was out and it was really a nice day so she bundled me up and sent me on my way so I'm outside between the houses on a FAA um, installation and in, in 60 
three and and whatnot, we had because we lived on an FAA station next to an air um, an airstrip, the Air Force airstrip. Mm-hmm. We had all kinds of air traffic coming in and out, and um, we had 24 hours a day where they would uh, do touch and goes, and they had um, airlifts going, and so I was used to hearing air traffic. Um, come in and out of that airstrip and so it's after five o'clock and I'm standing outside and I hear what I, what I, and I'm I'm all of six years old and I look over my right shoulder and because I hear a noise a rumble and it's it's a sound coming actually coming from the east and I didn't realize it was from the east until I looked at maps and everything years later mm-hmm. but what I was hearing was the earthquake coming and <clears throat> when it hit where we were, um, it, it was like a blanket toss. It tossed me up in the air, and the ground wow. went down uh, 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 from underneath me. Now, I'm only six years old, and conversations with my brothers would reveal that the waves weren't six feet high. They were only two and a half to three feet high <laughs> because they were older teens. And so my perspective right. was that this was... I didn't know what it was. This, my perspective was that this was crazy, and it was a ride, and it was huge. And the only thing I remember um, by looking at the ground was the air bubbles dancing around in the frozen footprints and tire prints underneath the ice, hmm. like a level would do. And so I was very intensely uh, looking at this, and and um, and the din of noise I can't describe to you what it was like to hear that noise. It, it would be the worst crashing and grinding sound you could possibly imagine. And after about four and a half, five minutes, it ended. And of course, we had aftershocks. That was the genesis of my interest in earthquakes. <laughs> Boy, was that a long one. Yeah, well, no, but how, uh, no wonder, though. It really made a huge impression on me. And, of course, at that age, um, and it was the following following May, I caught my first fish out of um, the river nearby. And it it was actually a flounder. It was a a little flounder about six inches long. Dad called it pan-sized. And I Mm -hmm. I never forgave him for eating it. But... (laughs) I really didn't want to eat it. <laughs> Would you like said, to you know, the smile for the camera, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Picture in the red boat, you know. I'm being eaten mm-hmm. alive by mosquitoes and, and uh and white socks. You know, they were just it was crazy. It was wonderful living in Alaska. Growing up in my formidable years up there was wonderful because Alaska had a lot to offer. Uh, and it still does, but it's changed so much. And that really was the genesis of um, earthquakes. And I, I measure all of my, I measured have all of my experiences in life from that point um, when my dad retired and we moved back down to the lower 48 in, in 71. Um, I, I have that perspective um, having grown up there. So it was... Uh, uh, I, I miss it, and that's why I live in the Pacific Northwest, because it's a lot like that. The people are a lot like mm-hmm. that. And, and the reason why I live in Earth, 
And that's the reason why I live in earthquake country. <laughs> okay. So that's you just end, you ended up there because you like the area. But I love know, the area. I love the people. Yeah. And, and so what's interesting is you're in a place where, you know, the Cascadian subduction zone. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. And, uh, wow, I read the article. Have you read the article in The New Yorker, the one that was The published? New Yorker, yeah. Oh, I don't yeah, know how many times I've sent that around the world. <laughs> uh-huh. July of 2015. What did you think of that? That, oh, you know, and I... I've read other things about the Cascadian subduction zone and the earthquake that's being expected, but I, that pretty much took my breath away. When they described the wall of water that will be made up of trucks, boats, you know, lumber, I was just, that will be, and it's huge what they're expecting and, and the yeah. people. And they, what I'm hearing, is this still true that, they, that you, unlike Japan, that um, the Pacific Northwest doesn't have an, a warning system like they need, to, an early warning system? Well, has that changed kind of yes, kind of no. Actually, um, California has tried to fast track theirs. British Columbia has tried to fast track theirs. The University of Washington has been right on top of it through the Pacific Northwest Seismic Network uh, out of the University of Washington. Um, they've been fantastic about getting the science down, and that's from the work from the 1980s. Um, and they're building on that work from then, what they found in, you know, the sunken forests, um, and they're, they're finding mm-hmm. silt layers, layer after layer after layer in the Puget Sound. Um, they're still digging, and they're still discovering, and it's huge. <laughs> what we sit on here, the Cascadia subduction zone, is, runs from off the coast of Northern California, um, from Point, Point Blanco, I think they call it, California, mm-hmm. where the San Andreas Fault actually hangs a left and goes west out to sea. From that point all the way up to just short of the Queen Charlotte Islands off the coast of British Columbia, including Vancouver Island, Vancouver, Seattle, Portland, and all those cities, um, that is the Cascadia region. And these plates are being pushed by the Pacific plate underneath the North American plate in, 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 a, in a slow motion train wreck of absolutely unimaginable scale. That's the best I can describe it. <laughs> yeah. Just a lot of coiled up energy, isn't it? Just waiting oh, to be unleashed. Oh, indeed. Indeed. And then add to that, it was, it's only been in the past... 10 years to add to that the <clears throat> the hot spot that's under um, Yellowstone actually yeah. passed through the curtain of the Cascadia subduction zone the curtain of subducting material going underneath North America and when it when that hot spot passed through that area it it created a hole <laughs> it it melted uh, 
a hole underneath central Oregon. And what happened was it kind of, that was the curveball, that was the eight ball that the planet threw into the mix of, you know, if, if you're going to do algorithms and predict earthquakes, you've you got to know these events and mm-hmm. what, you know, what play, who the players are, basically. And so the southern, southern Oregon is, has been treacherously, um, it's been a bad boy. Southern Oregon's been a bad boy. Had, Southern Oregon's had a lot more earthquakes of a large proportion in the subdu- deep subduction earthquakes than the rest of the zone has because of this chaos created by, by the passing hotspot, I don't know how many million years ago. So add to that. And that, that. Now you're zooming way back and looking at it from a millions of years perspective. But what are we left with today? We are left with a system underneath our feet up here that is cocked and loaded and ready to go. And it's waiting for a hair hair trigger finger to kick it off. And it loads um, it loads with all the events if you look at it in a larger picture. Um, you know, the, they talk about the swarms, the, 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 the earthquakes you can't you can't sense these mini swarms. They go on for weeks underneath mm-hmm. the, the uh, Northern California and all the way up. And these are these are slow motion earthquakes that relieve pressure um, way down, but they build pressure right. at the stuck point. It's crazy. Oh. It's 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 so interesting. I I, I get lost in it. Clearly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's really interesting, and I think. Um, this is just a good conversation to have because there's so many people that are going to be affected by this. Oh yeah. Oh yes, ma'am. And uh, millions. You know what is? Yes. And they said, you know, in the in the New Yorker article, I think I remember they said something like twelve thousand people were going to die when this happens. When it pops, yeah, because yeah, of when it pops because of the density of the cities people right. and people in the last 10 20 years Seattle's exploded with growth Vancouver's yeah, exploded with growth I mean it mm-hmm. it's insane I had to move out of Snohomish County north of Seattle out here to the to the Olympic <laughs> Peninsula to get back to um small town big town but um this is this is yeah. where I'll be and I've gotten involved and and to, to bring it to a point, why am I here? Why am I here? It's because of the beauty of the country. It is sustainable in that um, the weather patterns have remained fairly, um, how do I put it? It's the best kept secret in America. Basically, if you really mm-hmm. look at the Pacific Northwest, we're, we're we're in a we're in a climate belt that comes down the coast from um, southeast Alaska down just to just at Northern California, and it's you know we have one of the three uh, most rare um, temperate rainforests. The whole rainforest is out here. Uh, the whole rainforest mm-hmm. has. It, it, amazing, amazing, and of course, the, 
if you can if you can stand 300 300 inches of rain a year yeah go live in the pacific northwest rainforest <laughs> i don't know how people can do it and stay sane okay but don't you 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 live in it right no i live i live in basically i live in the shadow of um 9000 9000 foot peaks the major weather systems come from the west southwest and they hit the Olympic Mountains, and, they cr- and the mm-hmm. mountains create a rain shadow. Now, what happens when that happens is, and, of course, the kinds of earthquakes that we have up here builds these mountains that, mm-hmm. I, that we're living near. And these mountains, right. the Olympic Mountains and the Olympic Na- National Park, are um, five to 9,000 feet high, and they block those weather systems and create rainforests on one side and and arid areas on the the east northeast side and that's where i live i live in oh, a, I a, a little more arid area when i lived in snohomish county over across um the puget sound i lived in an area that was heavy heavy rainforest and it was really um in the winter time it was uh, a little bit of a challenge to live in it wasn't sustainable. I couldn't. I couldn't plant a garden and eat out of. I can't live off the land there. I can here. Right. And that's one I of the reasons. I see what you're saying by sustainable. Right. You literally mean sustainable by um, becoming a little more, becoming more self-sufficient. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. Yeah. That you know, being and able to live off the land, being able to live off of uh, the fauna and flora in appropriate measure. Yeah. And, and it seems that with what's happening now, that's becoming more and more important. <clears throat> with the, you know, the I've watched for years the fragility of the of the food chain, the food supply oh, system. Oh yes. And and I thought, you know, all it's going to take is one event. Now, did I did I think it would be a pandemic? Not necessarily. <laughs> no, neither <laughs> kinda, did I. But I it's kinda, brilliant. Yeah, and uh, boy, and now we've got something that unlike a lot of things that go on in the world right now, everyone's experiencing this all over the world. Yes. And that's kind of an amazing thought. It is amazing because how do you get everybody's attention all at once to start changing things? Well, this did it. Yeah. Um, However it got out there, all of it's moot at this point in that. Mm-hmm. What we it have is. to learn yeah. from it is yeah. huge. This is a th- this is a a wide open opportunity for all of us to step forward differently. And yeah. and it yeah, it really is. And will that happen? Really? Uh, I think in some in some ways it will. You know, with some people. Will that happen? Yeah. Did we listen? Yeah. <laughs> Are yeah. we teachable? Um. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Yes, exactly. And some are, and and some people. Uh, it will be interesting to see, you know, how people process this and what they do with it. Right. Ultimately, because you know, I I like I hear people say things like, "Well, this has never happened in, um, our you know, this, ne- this is something that's never happened." I'm like, "Well, yeah, it happened a hundred years ago. It was called the Spanish flu." Yeah. <laughs> And yeah. Same. I mean, if you look We're, at the records, if it, look back at the 
the history, same thing. They shut down the movie theaters. They, you know, there was lockdown mm-hmm. because they were trying to oh, get yeah. this under control. Yeah, and these people were yeah. bitching about being at home. I, I'm sorry. Oops. I know. <laughs> They're complaining about <laughs> okay. being – sorry, You're oops. <laughs> we're talking okay. over coffee here. Um, yeah, and, we and, and, no, we are. And, and I don't and, think any young children will be listening to this. And if you look <laughs> back at what happened then, these people have nothing to complain about. You know, no, pull out no. your history books, start having the conversation about what is going on, what has gone on, and and yeah. step out in knowledge. You know, that that's that's the yeah. key. It is. That's the key. And to and get you, people to do that, you have to they have to come to crisis with their their perceptions first. It's it's like Friedhoff Capra, the yeah. crisis of perception and <laughs> you know, 1990. Well, and, this is a and, you know, I don't know about your schooling. Um, you and I have lived in a, a lot of the same places and had some, mm-hmm. like, I lived, I lived in Wyoming. I didn't realize you had. And, oh. Um, yeah, I'm from New Mexico. Really harsh place. Lived, yeah, it is a harsh place. And I lived right up by Yellowstone National Park. My yeah. father helped build, build the roads up there when I was a child. Oh, so. wow. Yeah, so you're probably uh, sitting on a tractor when I when I was riding by in a '57 Chevy in the bassinet. <laughs> well, I was born in '61, so uh, uh, you never know. I, I mean, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. How and, many times we've I, crossed paths? I, I know it's interesting because you know, as I told you once before, my middle son um, went to Nimi briefly. He didn't quit. He yeah, didn't yeah. Quite, wasn't his cup of tea, but. Yeah, but, uh, I, I know. Uh, and and, and, and yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, it, the, for the first few weeks, I mean, I, I got in there and, and, you know, I did the matriculation and I went in there and I started the, I started the training as a rat. And let me tell you, mm-hmm. man, you, you, <laughs> if I could listen to the, the recording of my phone calls to my folks, my mom, and, and begging her to get me out of this. <laughs> this was a mistake, and and I'm I'm glad that she had the wisdom and the and and the love to keep right. me there. Well, and and well, I kept I there. I, I stayed willingly. I'll say. Uh-huh. You know, everything you went through kind of prepared you. Really yes. did prepare you for the life you're living now. And yes. The interest you have in in the earthquakes and and also the realization that you needed to prepare. Correct. Yeah. For that, the, also crossed o- crossed over into this whole pandemic. Prepare, you know, be, you know, the, being in a pretty good place, right? Yeah, for, being ready, being ready for something something like this um, requires yeah. a mindset first off, and it does. Yeah. In 1989, I lived when I lived in Northern California. I was still there when the Loma Prieta earthquake happened, and um, I felt it. I was at home. I had the day off. It was a familiar sunset with the golden light. I mean, it just there was a familiar air about it. It just there was mm-hmm. something about that. The quality of the the sunlight in the afternoon. It reminded me so much of 1964, Good Friday, that um, I was standing in the doorway uh, of my house. Holl- I was a little rental 
and I was hollering and carrying on. Boy, this, what a great ride. And, of course, my friend who had come over to watch the game, we were going to watch the Beta Breakers uh, baseball game, and mm-hmm. and he was looking at me in terror, and he fell on the floor. And <laughs> I, I, <laughs> poor guy. Here, I'm I'm. I'm watching the cars dance around in the driveway, and I'm having a I'm having a hell of a time. And before I knew it, he gathered his stuff up and says, "I'm I'm I've, I've got to go." And and a month or so later, he moved back to Ohio. Wow! Um, it scared hell it scared hell out of him. But I had a wonderful time. <laughs> this was so, fun. This is a very unusual thing. I don't think I've ever talked to someone or read an account of someone. With this attitude. See, I thought that was normal. (laughs) (laughs) See how weird I am? Yes. (laughs) Well, I think it's great that we have this perspective because I think I've seen maybe a few comments from you, you know, on social media like that, and I thought, huh, that's interesting. (laughs) That's weird. Well, but the the great thing about it is it is weird, but um, it is weird, yeah. Because of that, you don't live in, even though you know what's coming, and it may very right. well happen in our lifetime, we know that, right? Yes, that, yes, that I, I do know spring. that. Yeah, that you are not afraid because, when, you know, of this. Absolutely not. When, um, yeah. when my partner and I decided to leave, um, um, we live in western Washington. We live northeast of Seattle at the time, up in Snohomish County, and we had decided um, in 2012, 2013, we had began to have conversation about um, sustainability where we were living at the time, and mm-hmm. we decided it was not what we wanted, and so we sought out places that were what we wanted and that were sustainable. And what we found was I, I, we both found home here up in Port Angeles, up um, up in Washington State in this area and it was most familiar to me but the other side of that is um i i grew up away from population and i'm most comfortable away from population and i'm not i was not always that way i you know as, as a kid you know you, you sow you know you sow your oats and and you go to you go to yeah. la and you go to you know, the big cities and you get involved in all that and that's just so much fun but that that's a chastening of the of the the character, if you will, and and I loved all of that. I would do it all again, maybe next time, but not now. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the, it, it no. brings me back to it brings me back to now. It sets the tone of the quality of life now. What I do now and what what happened in 1989 after the earthquake was be ready, and this is how to do it. So I started. Um, working with, uh, because I was I was a county deputy uh, working for the sheriff's department, um, I started working with the sheriff's office and with the county on being prepared, on getting ready for these kinds of events, because they're going to happen, and they continue to happen yeah. in the Bay Area and all up and down California. So I really plugged into the preparedness community back then. And this was a time when I began to look into the research of um, Jim Berkland, who was a geologist out of, I think it was San Mateo County. He predicted, he was basing his predictions of earth movements based on, get this, um, when pets would run away, the runaway reports we used to see in the newspaper. Right. 
when I, I read that actually. I know just what you're talking about. <laughs> and he, he would he would oh. have people call in from different cities in an area, in a given area in California. And right. then when the, the runaways would start to spike, um, he, would, he would look at the activity, the geophysical activity, and then make a, you know, a blanket prediction about movement. And he was very good. And I didn't talk to Jim Birkeland until 1995. I moved back to the Pacific Northwest in 94. And in 95, um, he had predicted um, uh, a small earthquake up here um, uh, through the media. And the, the local media got a hold of him, and they made stories of it. And, and, and I, he had moved since. I, d- I didn't have his current number, so I got a hold of him and started to have this conversation about Cascadia. And that's when I really accelerated my education about what kind of system this really is that I'm standing on and began to build it from there. So how, um, how much will you be affected where, you're li- where you live by this when it happens? Um, I project, it's interesting that you ask that question, um, when, when I had heard a uh, talk locally at a library, at a library here in town, of a man that was talking about being prepared for earthquakes and how to do it. Um, he was a, a former legislature um, appointee up here, and he, in connection with the local, uh, the local fire, um, the county fire department, um, of which I found myself living in this particular region where um, the preparedness exercises were were really ramping up. These people were coming up from Northern California and they were teaching these um, citizen emergency response team courses where people would learn how to respond uh, in an emergency. And I signed up for that two years ago and got involved with training uh, and learning how to respond when the quake hits when we moved back to anchorage back in 64 i got a first-hand view of what had happened to that poor town when the 64 earthquake hit uh, it was really an eye-opener and it made a very deep impression on me i know um that we are due for that experience here in order to manage that and in other words, in order to reduce the fear of that and live through it and come out the other side, we have to prepare, and this is how to do it. And it's actually very easy. And this is what I've learned to do. What's going to happen mm-hmm. here where I'm living, um, one of the things that I considered um, was um, Billy Meyer and Christian Freiner, uh in Switzerland um, I paid very close attention to geographical um, projections where water would rise in um, in tsunamis, and you know how far not don't build here, don't build there, where to build, and that kind of thing. And so, right. when we looked at property here, I used those guidelines, and so that I'm in a, 
I'm in what I consider a safe area. I had a I had a gal who was a an RN come here when I had an injury last year, and she came by here and she said, "You know what? We live in God's pocket." She said that to me, and I didn't. You know, she was helping me right. with my injury, <laughs> and 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 yeah. I said, "Well, explain that to me." And she said, "You know, yeah. this is a very and and she explained it to me, and and the reason why she and her husband moved from Seattle here because mm-hmm. um, it's got special qualities. I think we all find that in our life. We find a place that's a spe- like you did, you and Bill. Yeah, there. Exactly. You found, that's you, why I'm you really found interested the in what place. you're saying because we felt the same way, you know, where we have an affinity to the area that we live in. And so I was going to ask you about the criteria that you, like, did you have a little checklist on, you know, I know you paid attention to it where they said, build here, don't build there, which we did the same thing, of course. And right. because and looking at where do we want to be, you know, if it's going to be that far from where we're at now, where we're at, where we're at, at the time, which it didn't end up being, of course, we stay in the same area, but, um, did you have like a checklist of, you know, you know, I really did. I mean, I, I don't know if it was necessarily a, um, you know, a, a, on a legal pad, but <laughs> I, I did. Yeah, no, I, I had I these criteria. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and this was, and this was conversation probably not unlike, but you and Bill had where you go, okay, now it's got to meet certain criteria. The property has got to be able to, we got to be able to plant some vegetables. It got to have, you know, a, a reasonable amount of mm-hmm. sun um, not not too harsh winter, not too harsh summer, even with the swings in, even with the planet reacting the way it's reacting and, and the weather doing right. what it's doing. So mm-hmm. with all of that considered, you know, and it comes back to the RN saying, we live, we wanted to live in God's pocket. We live here now. Right. And that's, that's kind of what she said. And she summed it up. And I kind of went, mm-hmm, thank you for that, you know. <laughs> yeah, so she thought, sees it too. I mean, she sees that you live in an area where it's quite desirable and easier to survive. Yes, than maybe indeed. a lot of places are. Indeed. Yeah, and uh, so the people in your area. Do you think that the people that live in the the Pacific Northwest area, specifically the subduction zone area, do you think they're Understanding what's coming. Hmm. Wow, that's a big question. Um, I don't think they understand. They hear what's coming, but I don't think that right. they spend enough time to consider what that really means necessarily. Right. Because what's going to happen, and, and I'm, going to, I'm going to step out on a limb here. I'm going to be Shirley McLean and step out on a limb here and say, uh, <laughs> I, I have, well, that was a, a bad nice joke. One. <laughs> no, good. Sorry. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> bad Bob. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to step out on a limb in here, here and say, I have confidence in within the next 10 years of my life that I will experience a nine plus earthquake here in the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. And that would not um, surprise me at all. No, I don't think so. And I, and, and in fact, mm-hmm. and in fact, that would probably be quite accurate <laughs> knowing what we yeah. know, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah. 
I, that's what I'm. And, 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 and you know, I've, interestingly enough, now let's take this a step mm-hmm. further, because outside of my door, um, into my county, um, when I first started with the fire department and training, <clears throat> excuse me, in training um, with the, the community emergency response team to the fire department. Um, they're using the 9.0 scenario and their their planning is this. Bridges will be down. Um, You're going to be on your own for a very minimum of 30 days. Here's the reality of this. The bridges are going down. Mm -hmm. The ports are going to be swamped. You know, and so what they did is they laid it all out there. This is what's going to happen. And this is hard science. So they laid right. the hard science out on the table to the community here and said, let's talk about this and how we can manage what is coming. And let me clarify something here. If you don't do something, you have nothing to pass to your progeny. And they won't be ready. So are you willing to take on that responsibility? And so and, people And how do people react? You know, I was quite surprised at the number of people that stood up and said, Let's get busy. There are a lot of people up here, grassroots, who are preparing. And it's That's great. It's to hear. quite it's quite heartening actually, because it's necessary and you know for people to survive this afterwards you know there's a little town there's a little town you can um probably run joyce j-o-y-c-e joyce washington do a quick google search of joyce washington and they've been they're a little town that's been preparing um their uh their go-to guy is a guy named jim buck and he was the guy that I mentioned earlier, not by name, that actually mm-hmm. inspired uh, me to get involved with um, response. And they are dead on. These people know what's coming. They know mm-hmm. what their um, limitations are. They know what their assets are. And they're planning accordingly. And, and you know what? I'm going, yeah, man, get it done. Yeah, that's, this is, that's this, good to hear. This is the way to do it. We didn't have that in 1964. You know, we could barely get the runway fixed before planes could land. <laughs> right. You know, and I, and I remember that. And I remember how a community came together by the fall of 1964. Uh, we were all, uh, we, the parents, the adults were sharing food. Uh, they were sharing um, the hunt. They were, you know, re- mm-hmm. they were sharing the, the moose and the elk and they were, but they were all in it together. There was it was it was all elbows and people working and people listening to each other and helping each other, and the nature of that got so ingrained in me that um, I I brought it into my adulthood and and since I got you know <laughs> since I got um, since I got better in my head, in other words, since I got sober, um, right. I, I, had to, I had to destroy 
my my thinking when I grew up. Um, I grew up in a like, and we've talked about this growing up in dysfunctional mm-hmm. families, and we right. create things that we have to. And, and I didn't I didn't know that I had to destroy them or they had to be flexible <laughs> as an adult. So I wasn't terribly flexible early on and learning to do that. And then coming into the spiritual teaching, um, and this really was, this is, this is the amulet, this is the carrot, this is the brass ring, um, the spiritual teaching that Billy's brought to the planet, period. That's it. And the fact that he wrote it in five months is just blows my mind. <laughs> Yeah, I know. It, it's such quality work. It's, you yeah. know, people can look at the contact notes and say, well, you know, what are they, you know, are they really true? But You I know, that, there was, that was a lot of information when I first got those yeah. first two books. And in Contact yeah. 10, um, published by um, Wendell Stevens in his book, Message from mm-hmm. the Pleiades, in Contact 10, there it is right there. It's the introduction to the spiritual teaching. And I languished in that. And I spent a lot of time with that. And when our little group started up five years ago to do book study, we started mm-hmm. together um, We started together with introduction to the spiritual teaching. And we spent a lot of time there. We spent... We, we, it's, it's like tea, you know, you let it steep a bit. Right. Yes. These, these were well, people I that did. really wanted to know what this was about. And I was so happy because, man, I'm standing out on an island by myself. <laughs> yeah, I know. You I know, know. And, yeah, um, definitely. I do. And, and, I, and I agree with you about steeping in it. I think for me, and, and even our group, when, the way we study the teaching, um, we take we take it and marinate in it. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, yeah. We take our that's time. a good way. That's a good way to we put it. We don't rush through. We don't rush through anything. And luckily, we're all on that page. Good. That you know. That's the we, way it should be. Because I, I think so too. There's no. There's no hurry because we have lifetimes. Now, yeah, it's organic. Course, this 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 is the deal it is. here. <laughs> it is. And one thing, uh, you know, you mentioned Daniel Cooper earlier. He said something uh-huh. really right on about the contact note portion of the spiritual teaching. He said, look, because I said, well, we live on a planet full of lies. It just blows oh, yeah. me away. That's one of the reasons uh-huh. I decided to do this show because of all the lies. There's so many. Yeah. And, and Daniel said to me, well, that's why we have the contact notes. And I said, That's why we, oh, yeah, wow. absolutely. What yes. a guy. And it is. And it is. I mean, you, you know that, but he just put it in just the right words. I just went, yes. well, yes, it is. Because, Beautifully put. You know, yeah, because look at even what we're going through with this, you know, bringing it back to the pandemic or, the, or even the earthquakes. They give us the information that we need. Yes. And we can go out and vet it. You know, I've been exactly. accused of by people that are close, are close to me, you know, um, that I just read the stuff the player and say, and then I just believe it. But that isn't true. I go out, <laughs> as I have from the beginning, 
I use my common sense and research. And so far, Bob, <laughs> I just count myself as an extremely fortunate person that I Yes, when the rubber to. meets the road, it plays out. Yes. It it's real. It does. It becomes real. Yeah, and it that and, and it's like what you said when uh, in the spiritual teaching when we begin to do that. When we begin mm-hmm. to um exercise um expose rather not exercise expose ourselves to these principles and begin to work them into our daily life every day we we have to break down the old to bring in the new we have to be pliable in that way mentally and we have to know how that works we have to know what the might of the thoughts is we have to know how that works in the psyche we have to know how that works and all of this work that this man has put out is absolutely connected one to the other. When you think about how delicious it is to learn, Oh, to uh-huh. to grow yeah. to have realizations and on just our, on our level, well, that's what creation is doing also through us, and so that's what that keeps me going is, is where this is where is this going to end up? I'm I'm really interested to find out where this is going to end up. This is where this is how we plug into that. You know, this is how we plug into just the awareness. Of, of knowing that we're participating in um, a creation, getting to know itself and learning a myriad of, of ways of being. And that's mm-hmm. part of our job. It's just, and that's, that's pretty damn exciting. I mean, it is. how can you not be excited <laughs> about that? <laughs> I know. You know, when you I, see I a agree. bright color and when you see a sunset and when you're riding a bike and you see a, a mule deer standing in front of you looking at you like you just stepped off of a spaceship and you have a moment. Those are moments that take our breath away and that make life worth living. And that's intense. Thanks for listening. Join me next week for my next episode of Reality Ranch Podcast.